Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 180 of Maximize Your Influence, this podcast. Kurt Mortensen here, and that's Steve Olson still on sabbatical. We'll get him back soon. And of course, I've got the squeaky horse voice from speaking too much. But I'm here. This is important. Let's talk about persuasion and influence. It's good to be back in my normal podcasting chair. It's been a wild, what, 10, 12 days I had a three-day in Boston, a two-day in Dallas, then off to Amsterdam, and another two-day in Germany. It's just south of Frankfurt, if you've been to Darmstadt. Great place. Worked with a large pharmaceutical company there. If you really want to know, you can look it up, because there's like 10,000 people working on this campus. It was amazing. And when I told people I was going to Germany, they said, you got to get a Duner. I'm like, what's a Duner? They guess you got to get a Duner. And so I got a Duner. They are awesome. It's kind of like a magnified great hero. It's not even German food. I believe it's from Turkey of all places. But everyone eats it. It's on every corner. I think I had four of them. So those of you that asked, I did get my Duner. And I was pleasantly surprised how good it was. But we're back. We're here to talk about persuasion and influence. Of course, you can reach us on Pinterest and Facebook at Max Influence. Or you can go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com. See the latest podcast, or you can subscribe to the automated download from iTunes. And if you want to, send me an email at Kurt at MaximizeYourInfluence.com with kind remarks or rude remarks, great articles that you have, blunders that you've done, information that you need. Whatever it is, zap me an email. You might even get onto the show. So hopefully my voice will hold up. It's kind of squeaky and grovelly, but I'm here. We're going to do it. And let's start off, of course, with the blunder of the day with our famous Homer sound. Homer, go. Go, go, go. The blunder of the day is going to be me. I have probably the top blunder on this show because I make mistakes just like everyone else, and that's how we learn, and that's how we grow. And with my three books being in 28 languages, that gets me around the world. Germany, Amsterdam, Middle East, South America. And one of the great things that I've realized is that we are more alike than we are different. Sometimes when you go to the Middle East or you go to a different country or Germany or South America, something different than your country, you think everyone's different. And we have differences from personality to culture to religion to politics to even the way we think. We're different and that's a good thing. But the reality is we are more alike than we think. And the blunder is, even though I know this, even though I've seen this, I get stressed out a lot of times going to different countries because you do have different styles and cultures. And a hand gesture in the United States is very offensive in Brazil. How close you stand to somebody in Germany is very different than the Middle East. No right or wrong, we're just different, okay? So the blunder is me. So the reason the blunder is me is I research the country, the people, the culture, do's and don'ts. And that information is found on the internet, of course, and everything on the internet is true or, well, at least you think it is. So I print out a bunch of stuff, I read on the flight over, and I get there, and I was looking at all these things, and so I started my presentation, and one of the things I read talked about being orderly and structured and starting on time for Germany, right? It's kind of a different culture, and one article even said, oh, keep your humor to a minimum, which is not like me, but I guess I can do that. I can adapt. But when I got there, none of it was true. (laughs) 
Now, it might be true for a lot of people there, but the blunder is that I didn't adapt fast enough. I did eventually adapt and just got into my natural style, which eventually happened because this was a multinational company. They had people there from France and from England and from Germany, and they had learned different styles, and they all have a sense of humor, and they all want to laugh. They all want to learn. So the blunder is this, is you want to do your research as much as possible, but you need to adapt as soon as possible to the style, to the personality, to the person, whether it's one-on-one or the company culture as a whole. So I'll take the bold today. I will be the blunder. I've learned this before because there's the balance of not knowing what to do or what to say and what offends. Because there are certain things that you can and can't do in every country or culture versus being ready to adapt to the thing. Okay, that's not true. That's not relevant here. That's not an issue in being able to deliver the best persuasive presentation you can. So that is the blunder of the day. I will take the hits. I will be the homer. That's how I learn. That's how I grow. That's how we all learn and grow is from others' mistakes. So learn from that. But it's also true if you're persuading in your own country. Every department, every company, every person, we have different styles and personality and beliefs. The key thing, and I say this time and time again, you need to persuade them how they want to be persuaded. Remember our default settings, you persuade how you like to be persuaded. No, adapt to them Use the right tools for them. That could double your sales in a year because you're only connecting with the people that are like you or have your same personality, and that's good, but you need to spread your wings and learn to persuade others how they want to be persuaded. So let's continue with the show. Good news, we have a guest today. His name's Paul Smith. He's going to teach another aspect of persuasion that I've talked about. Plus that, my voice is squeaking all over the place. You probably want to hear him. So let's go to the interview with Paul Smith. All right, I'd like to give a warm welcome to Paul Smith to the Maximize Your Influence podcast. We've got some great information for you. So first of all, Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, Kurt, thanks very much for having me on. Hey, it's great to have you. We're going to have some great information. encourage everyone to take notes, and again, unless you're driving. Let me lead off with a kind of an introduction with Paul. Paul Smith is one of the world's leading experts on organizational storytelling. He's a keynote speaker, storytelling coach, and author of the book Sell with a Story, Parenting with a Story, and the bestseller Lead with a Story, already in its eighth printing and available in six languages around the world. Paul is also the former consultant for Accenture and former executive and 20-year veteran of Procter & Gamble Company. It's so good to have you, but we have to start off with our very first question. Let's throw you for a loop here. You have to tell our listeners, what is the worst vegetable on the planet and why? <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty big vegetable fan as an adult. I remember not being as a kid. There Surely there are some that I don't like, and I guess a top of mind for me would be in onions. I, I, I don't like them, and I, I think the reason is not the taste or or the consistency or anything, but just the way it makes my breath smell. And, and I, I guess I don't like that, especially if I'm going to be at home around my wife. So uh, <laughs> onions are off my list. All right. We'll put a mark in for onions. Is that cooked or uncooked or both? Uh, uncooked. If you cook them, I, I think uh, okay. it works out better in that department. So All right. In, in so the romance department. Onions on the list. I think that's the first time we've had onions, but uh, we'll take it. I think the, the top one, as our listener knows, is Brussels sprouts being the top. Uh, not sure we can eat that slimy vegetable list. <laughs> now, see, I, I actually like Brussels sprouts. I hear that. It's, there's nothing in between with Brussels sprouts. It's either you like them or you hate it. Yeah. Right in the middle. So let's dive in and talk about storytelling. I love storytelling. I love selling with stories. Let's ask you this. What exactly is a sales story? How's that different from a persuasive presentation or a sales pitch? I mean, what are we talking about here? 
Yeah, that, great question, because I think that word story has been uh, misused over the last couple of decades. So uh, a sales story, as I define it, is, is very different than a sales pitch. So first of all, a sales story is a, a real story that is a narrative about something that happened to somebody. Uh, you know, and what that means is there, there's a time and a place and a, a main character, and that main character's got a goal, and there's probably somebody or something getting in the way of that goal. And there are events that transpire throughout the narrative that hopefully resolve themselves nicely in the end. So it, it literally is a story about something that happened to somebody, as opposed to a sales pitch, which is, you know, let me tell you the three reasons why you, get, you should buy my product today. A sales pitch is essentially a list. It's a list of reasons why you should do something that I want you to do, which is normally to buy what I'm selling. And you've got to have a sales pitch if you're selling anything. I'm not, I'm not saying we should get rid of sales pitches. My suggestion is that you should add to your repertoire of sales skills the ability to tell stories to add to and augment your sales pitches and your rapport building and your objection handling and your uh, sale closing and, and all of the parts of uh, the, the phases of a sales process could be helped by having a sales story. So a sales story literally is a, a real story about something that happened to somebody that helps you achieve your sales goal. Great point. Hope the listeners caught that. Instead of vomiting the features and benefits in that long list, <laughs> you get another tool, which is a very persuasive tool. And I'm a big believer that stories are effective. And through my research, I've found that it, stories pretty much persuade without detection a lot of times. What are your top two or three reasons stories are so effective in this process? Yeah, so the, the first one is that, that storytelling speaks to that part of the brain where we actually make decisions. You know, a lot of the cognitive science that's been done in the last few years tells us that human beings actually make subconscious, emotional, sometimes irrational decisions in this one place in their brain. And then a few nanoseconds later, we rationalize that decision logically in a different place in our brain. So we leave it thinking that we've made this very rational, logical decision. But the truth is we made a very quick, spontaneous, unconscious, emotional decision. And all those, those features and benefits you mentioned earlier, that list of rational reasons why you should buy something only appeals to one part of the brain. If you want to reach that other part where the decisions are typically made in advance, you need to influence people emotionally. And storytelling is a much more effective tool at doing that than a bunch of logical lists. So oh, yeah. that's the main reason. You know, a couple others I'd mention quickly. One is that stories are just makes things easier to remember, right? You know, the number of studies have shown that facts are between six and 22 times more likely to be remembered if they're embedded in a story than if they're given to people in a list or just in sequence. That's obviously part of what you need people to do is remember your, your whole sales pitch. So if you can include a story in that, that'll help. But it actually increases the value of the product you're selling as well in, in, in many cases because once you've told them the story, they're not just buying a thing. They're buying a story that comes with it, and that story has some, some value. I love that. They're going to remember you more, your product more, just by telling a story. And I can't think of a persuasive presentation that wouldn't have a story. But let me ask you this. As you were doing your research for this book, what were the couple of things that you found out that just blew your mind as far as how powerful stories are. Yeah, well, th there were several surprises, actually. The first one was the enormous uh, set of, of places during the sales process where great salespeople were telling stories. Because I ended up interviewing salespeople at over 50 different organizations around 
around the world. You know, places like uh, Microsoft and Costco and Xerox and Abercrombie and Fitch and Hewlett Packard, even Ghirardelli Chocolates and and Children's Hospital. I mean, all kinds of different industries. And what I found, I, I thought people would use storytelling just kind of in that rapport building phase where, you know, you're getting to know each other and, you know, a story about me growing up or where, you know, where I went to school and all that kind of stuff. But what I found, great salespeople were using it all the way from the moment they introduced themselves to a, a prospect to preparing for the sales call. Yes, to that rapport building phase, but actually making the sales pitch itself, handling objections in that sales call, using storytelling to do that actually closing the sale by telling stories and then even managing customer relationships after the sale. So that was a surprise to me, just that there were so many uses of storytelling in, in sales. But there were some other interesting things too, like uh, one set of people that I interviewed were not salespeople. They were buyers. So professional procurement managers at companies that who, you know, and I guess that makes sense. You know, who better to tell you what sales stories work and which ones don't work than the professional buyers who are actually making the decision after listening to dozens of sales pitches all day. But one of the things I asked them was, what makes a sales pitch sound like a sales pitch? <laughs> and I got all kinds of interesting answers to that, that uh, a lot of them described interesting uh, or very colorful ways to describe the act of vomiting, <laughs> which I, I, I found at least entertaining. But they all almost had the same answers. And the answer was when the tone of the conversation changed from conversational and improvisational to something that sounded memorized and scripted. And as they said, you can tell when the tone of voice of somebody changes and they're, they're reciting something that they've memorized, they would say, that's when I knew the sales pitch had started. And they'd say, the hairs on the back of my neck would just stand up. You know? And that's when my defenses would go up and I knew that it was game on, right? And I needed to get my game face on and be very, you know, resist what's about to happen to me. And so you don't want that to happen. Right. And that's one of the beautiful things about a story is that it doesn't sound like a sales pitch. So that never happens. Those hackles and those hairs don't rise up on the back of the neck so that they just will listen to your story without all those defenses up. Oh, that's great information. The power of stories and how that can help you out. What separates a, a great story? Because I've heard some great stories and, and a story that's just not working. I mean, what mm -hmm. is the difference between a boring story and a story that's engaging? They're listening and they're being persuaded. Yeah, so so there are a number of things, and I, I've got basically a chapter in the book on each of these things, but I'll, I'll just give you the top two or three. And one is the structure of the story. So stories do have a structure, and, and you know, if you're going to write a screenplay or a novel or something like that, you, you probably have a very long story structure. But sales stories are short. And so one of the things I learned was that the average sales story is two minutes long, two, not five, not 10, not 20, not a half an hour, an hour. Now, I'm not talking about the entire presentation. I just mean individual stories. You might tell you might tell two or three stories during the course of a half hour sales pitch, and you might tell several other stories even when you're not in the sales pitch. You're just building rapport, meeting somebody. But the average length of that story is two minutes long, and so you've you've got to have a very short story structure. And so what I found is there are eight questions that your story needs to answer, and in this order. And if they don't, it's really going to make your story hard to work. So here here are those eight questions. One is why should I listen to the story? You know, you've got to, if you don't answer that well, they may not listen to your story. But after that, then the, the main questions are where and when did it take place? Who's the main character and what did they want? What was the problem or opportunity they ran into? What did they do about it? And how did it turn out in the end? All right. Now, if you keep in track, that's only six. So the story is technically done, but there are two other questions you've got to answer for your prospect. And that is what did you learn from the story? 
you, the, the salesperson, when you first heard that story or when it first happened? And then lastly, what do you think they should do about it? You know, what should your audience, the prospect or the buyer, do differently now that they've heard this story? So this is your, that's your opportunity to make a recommendation or launch into your sales pitch or conclude your sales pitch. So, it, so that's the one thing is those eight questions. If you don't answer those questions, your story is going to fall flat because, oh, well, you skipped the where and the when it took place. Or you didn't really explain who the main character was and how that's, you know, or the thing that happened that made the whole story transpire. So it just didn't make any sense. So one thing is that structure. But I'd say the other two things are, are emotion and surprise. So if your story doesn't contain some emotional you know, moment, then it's just not going to be as engaging or interesting of a story. And if it doesn't have anything unexpected in it, no, it doesn't have to be a big surprise ending, but that's nice. Um, but if there's nothing surprising at all in it, again, it's just not going to be that memorable and not be that impactful. So I've got a number of techniques uh, for people to use to help develop both emotion and surprise in the stories because those are really important. Yeah, those are great questions. I especially like the two minutes. Just get to the point. It doesn't have to yeah. be that long. I think that's a great takeaway for our listeners out there. But let me ask, we're, we're big into blunders in the show or mistakes. When people do tell those stories, what are the biggest mistakes or blunders you see that uh, people could fix? The first one is not adhering to those principles. So like not answering all eight questions or not having emotion or surprise. But other than that, some the most common one I see is the way they start out their story. And like one of the worst ways to start out your story is to apologize or ask permission to tell the story, right? And, and you've, you see this happen all the time. There'll be six or eight people sitting in a room around a conference table and they're talking and somebody raises their hand and they'll say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, uh, can I just tell a quick story? I promise it'll just take a minute, right? We, we do that all the time. What do you think that communicates to the rest of the people in the room about how important your story is? What do you think? Well, that's terrible. That's like saying, hey, can I try to persuade you? You're going to get instant resistance and now the logical mind is kicked in. And I mean, that thing about that story is it kicks into the subconscious mind, that emotional side that you talked about. So I'm with you on that one. Yeah. So so just don't do that. Don't don't apologize for telling a story. Don't ask permission to tell a story. I mean, salespeople don't ask permission to do their jobs, do they? No, just just do your job. Leaders don't ask permission to lead. They just lead. So never apologize or ask permission to tell a story. In fact, don't even announce that you're going to tell a story because right? a lot of people just have this negative visceral reaction to being told, well, you know, gather around, boys and girls. It's story time. I'm going to tell you a story. I mean, if, if it was a bunch of kindergartners you're talking to, that's fine. But you're probably talking to an adult and they don't need to be told they're going to be told a story because that'll just make their eyes roll in the back of their head. Just start telling the story. Great info. Thanks for sharing that. But let me ask you another question here. How do we become better storytellers? What can we do? Because you probably said people think we're born with it or we're not. How do we become yeah. better storytellers and better at persuasion? Many people do make that assumption that, well, you're either born with it or you'll just never have it. And I just think that is not true. In fact, it's not true the same way that art or music. That's not true about art or music. Like I am, there are definitely people who are born musicians or born artists or at least having a natural aptitude for, and talent for that. And I'm not one of those people, by the way. But I'll bet if I wanted to learn to play the guitar, you know, what would I go do? I would go take guitar lessons. Well, first of all, I'd buy a guitar and then I would go take guitar lessons for a few months and then I would practice every day. It's the exact same with storytelling. If you don't, if you're not a natural born storyteller, you can become a decent storyteller, even a very good 
storyteller. Now, you may not become the best storyteller in the world because it's not your natural gift, but absolutely you can learn it like any other skill by, first of all, learning how. So don't just say, well, I just need to tell more stories and practice more. Like you wouldn't just say, well, I just need to uh, practice my guitar more in order to get better. Well, yeah, if you already know how to play the guitar, that works great. But if you have no idea what those strings do, practicing won't help you because you don't know what you're doing. So start out by admitting this is something I don't know how to do. I need to learn how, and then I need to work on it on a regular basis. So buy a book, take a class, learn from somebody who knows what they're doing, you know, find a way to learn it uh, the, the right way and then practice it. I like that. So it's a skill that we can learn, a skill we have to learn, especially the world of persuasion, influence, negotiation, and sales. Let me ask you this. What have I missed here? What if I haven't asked you? What's the one thing that you can tell the, our Maximize Your Influence listeners that they really need to know about telling stories? One thing they probably need to do more of is getting their prospects and their buyers to tell more stories. So it's one thing to know how to tell a story as a salesperson. But if you really want to understand your buyers, what their needs are so that you can meet those needs better, you need them to tell you their story. So, for example, uh, imagine asking a prospect or, or a buyer, um, you know, t tell me what your your biggest problem is. Oh, well, that would be warehousing. Warehousing is always our biggest issue or whatever. You know, OK, so now, you know, one word, <laughs> something about warehousing. But imagine instead if you could get them to tell you a real story about something that happened in their warehouse bad so that you could really understand uh, on, on a more detailed level, what went wrong. And, and the way you might do that is ask them a question like this. Tell me about the moment you realized your biggest problem was your biggest problem. That almost forces them to tell you a story instead of give you a one word answer. So they'd have to say, oh, gosh, well, that would have been about six months ago when we had that warehouse fire, you know, and then they'll tell you all about the warehouse fire or they'll tell you, oh, well, yeah, that'd be when a you know, last month when our, our biggest customer ordered, uh, had an emergency order and we, uh, we went out to the warehouse and we, they, we didn't have the product that they needed. And so we had to schedule a special production run to make it and got it made just in time and expedited to their uh, location at all this huge extra expense. And then we went out to the warehouse and found exactly what they ordered right where it was supposed to be all along. That was when we knew we had a warehouse problem. Okay, so now you know something very different about the warehouse problem, you know, so so getting your buyers to tell you complete stories, not just one word answers, yes or no answers, short answer type things. That is a, a, another skill with storytelling. It's how to elicit stories that will help you not just tell them. I like that. That's great information. So when you get them to kick into that emotional side, tell a story, not only getting information, but it probably opens them up to more persuasion. Yeah, you're finding out what their pain points are, especially. Yeah, which is all about influence. Mm -hmm. Well, Paul, this has been great information. Appreciate your time. Let me ask you one final thing. Where can the listeners find out more about you and about telling stories in, in your work? Yeah, thanks. At uh, My website's probably the easiest place to do that, and that is leadwithastory.com. And there's links there to, to the book, Sell With a Story, and to the training courses that I, I teach on that topic. Great information. Again, thanks for being here. That's leadwithastory.com. Listeners, make sure you internalize this information, you learn these new tools of influence, and go out and persuade with power. 